0: so glad that you're here so many churches in the df dope we're glad that you're here at social we have been in a relationship series called love is love is how many have been here every week of the series can i see you've been every week come on you get extra cl- bling in your crown in heaven Extra credit points for being here every single week. We've been looking at relationships, and the reason we're using that phrase that love is blind is because love has that uncanny ability to make you oblivious to the obvious. Come on, anybody here ever made a dumb decision in the name of love? And so what we've been saying is we don't want to take on the cultural narratives and the cultural norms and the cultural worldview about love and relationships. We want to say, what does God say? About relationships since He created us and made us so. Every week we've been going deeper. This is week number cuatro, week number four, and I want to go to Second Samuel today. Second Samuel chapter eleven. I want to look at verses one through five. Second Samuel eleven. Start at verse number one and land at verse number five. When you're ready to read it, say yeah. If you need a little time to find 2 Samuel because it's in the Old Testament and you're more of a New Testament person, uh, I'll give you a few minutes and just say, hold up. I heard it, come on. 2 Samuel. It's right after 1 Samuel. In the Old Testament. And look at what it says. Verse number one. It happened in the spring of the year. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening. Oh, Lord, we got the spring, and now we got the evening. But David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent a DM (laughs) and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent another DM and took her. And she came to him and they lay together for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived so she sent a and told David I am with child I want to preach a little bit today using this as a title David's other giant David's other giant. I don't want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But just in case there are some Davids in the room or Davids watching online that have a powerful, incredible destiny over your life, it's incumbent upon me to let you know that it's never Goliath that you have to worry about. I, I know he's big, I know he's talking a lot. Of tra- you never have to worry about the enemy outside. Of you but, but the enemy on the inside of you that's that's the one you, you got to worry about Goliath is Goliath is easy because if you want to kill Goliath you can kill him and you can cut his head out Matter of fact, if you if you want you don't want to fight him just run go hide but you can't hide from you you, you can't cut off the voice in your head it's trying to get you To assassinate and to abort the call that God has on your life I want to talk about David's other giant I want you to do me a favor look at your neighbor whichever one you like the best and just say neighbor I got a feeling this message for you come on look at your other neighbor say other neighbor that preacher up there is about to preach about David's other giant if you believe God's going to speak to you today, would you give him some praise up in here? Woo. Lord, speak today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. David's other, his other giant. At the risk of starting this sermon off hmm, sounding selfish, I want, to, I want to ask something of you. I'm going to ask that you pray for me this week. Don't just pray for me. I want you to pray for PT. Can I issue a warrant for your prayers this week? Is that okay? He said, why do you want me to pray for you and PT? Well, first of all, you should pray for your pastors. (laughs) But I really want you to pray for us this week, primarily because next Sunday, we will be concluding this relationship series, and we will be preaching together. Me and PT are going to stand on this stage next Sunday and preach together, y'all. Y'all clapping. You need to be praying. You need to be praying. Because <laughs> I don't think you understand that this week, we are going to be preparing together to stand on stage to communicate together about how y'all can communicate better together. Do you realize what this week is going to be? And we have three little humans that demand so much attention. I'm telling you, this is a daunting task, okay? If you see us next week, we made it through the fire. If we just show up next Sunday, I want you to pray for us because we have to stand on stage and communicate together. It's one thing you understand for me to communicate by myself. It's one thing for me to prepare a message by myself. It's one thing for her to prepare a message by herself. She can do that. Matter of fact, this Tuesday, she's going to be on Joyce Meyer's podcast. Shout out to Pastor Taylor. Oh, that's no problem. She's got her notes. She's got her thoughts. That's her by herself. Me right now, I am good by myself. I've been preaching since I was 16. I know my notes. I know my jokes. I know my cadence. I know my flow. I am good up here right now. Matter of fact, look at all this space. I got I got all this room I can move around I can do what I want to do right now matter of fact you might look at me and say oh he looks lonely on this stage yeah I might be lonely I might be alone but at least I got space at least I got room to move around as a matter of fact I wouldn't even call it lonely yes I'm alone but I'm actually just fulfilling my assignment right now what I'm doing right now I was created to do I was born to do this right here and I want to talk to some single people who have allowed other people to put external pressure on you and this season of your life and they've defined it as you lonely don't you need somebody can i tell you if you will start chasing your purpose instead of chasing a person god has a way of orchestrating you to find the right person oh but if you're chasing a person over the purpose what good is having a person if you don't even know your purpose what y'all gonna do together if you don't know what he put you on this earth to do so this is not a wasted time single person this is a time to find out what he called and created you to do so i'm good right now i got space i got room oh but next week come on up here babe next week the game is gonna change because next week i'm not gonna stand on this stage by myself and preach we are going to preach together Y'all clapping, you need to be praying. Because to communicate together is different. It takes a certain cadence and rhythm to communicate together. That means, oh, they didn't give you your own mic. Gosh, that means to communicate together, I'm going to have to learn when to be quiet. she going to have to learn when to be quiet and pass it back to me. Ooh, and can I just pause right there and say ladies come on every once in a while. Just help your man out uh, Come on. Let me just take this right here. She'll get the fellas next week, but you gotta learn when to just be quiet Just to stop talking about it some of the change that you want you would actually get if you would just stop Talking about that you want to take it a whole nother level What well, just one of the times when he's talking this, this will make your man pass out today. Just say you know what you're right Oh, if you want to see him Lose his mind? Just, just, just be quiet and say you're right because it, it, it's different when you communicate together. Can you imagine what next week is going to be like? i mean you know, I better be secure enough while she's speaking. Cause what if, what if you like one of her points better than my points? What if you laugh at one of her jerks jokes harder than you laugh at one of my jokes? I better be secure enough in me to not think that we are competing against each other. but that we actually complement each other and because the two have become one and we are one flesh how many know her success is my success my success is her success because the fact that we are joined together in covenant means that the two have become one and I don't know who I need to talk to that's married today in fact I put on this little green jumpsuit to tell you to grow up you are in a marriage not in a tennis match stop hitting it back and forth saying well you did that and you did this and you did that and learned that you're not competing you're on the same team see relationship series maybe we'll say it some of y'all you don't even got the strength to be married some of you single people you know because you don't even know how to take an L if you are going to be married you got to know how to take a L? You've got to have a good rebuttal in your head lined out, and have a moment where you go, "No, you ain't." One person said, "You can actually tell a successful marriage by how many bite marks are on your tongue, meaning you have learned when to shut your mouth." Matter of fact, can we just go deeper? Ooh, those of you looking for somebody. Looking for a spouse. Let me just give you some things to look for. Don't look for biceps. Don't look for triceps. Don't look for lips and hips. I would look for stuff like, can they serve? Do they have a servant's heart? I would look for stuff like, can they give criticism without crushing? Can they receive criticism without being crushed? Can they forgive Without residual anger. These are the things I would just look for. (laughs) Because the power is in communicating together. Together. And do you know what's going to make next week such a challenge? Is y'all, we are different. No, I'm serious. I don't know if you noticed. We are... No, I'm talking about the, the polarities between me and PT are... Crazy. We went to a counselor. Just talking, relationship Remember, we went to counselor. Shout out, Dr. Don. We went to a counselor uh, a few years ago. And, and before he started counseling us, he made us take a little personality test. Remember, we took a personality test. And before he even explains it, the personality test makes this little graph and it has highs and lows. And he put our two tests together. Every place mine was high, hers was low. Every place mine was low, hers was low. Because we are opposites. You don't understand. I am an introvert, she's an extrovert. My friend philosophy is the fewer the better, deep connection. Her friend philosophy, the more the merrier. She'll have all y'all over the house today for chicken. We are completely opposite. I'm, I'm a little messy. I'm a little messy. I call it organized chaos. She whoo, is a neat freak. She got excited this week because on Amazon, she found cases for batteries in the junk drawer. And she told me like we won the lottery. I found these cases because we are completely opposite extreme. So we go to the beach, she's looking for the sun, I'm looking for the shade. to the mall, we could spend the exact same amount of money, but we got different shopping bags. She's giving me 30 outfits from Zara. I'm Give me one outfit from Prada. See, I just... <laughs> <laughs> we're completely opposite. I'm telling you, the differences are glaring. Even music. Worship, we're pretty much the same on worship. We love the same worship music. Oh, but it's got to stay in worship. And get outside of worship. Come on, y'all. She's she Shania Twain. Ooh. I'm Lil Wayne. I'm Lil Wayne. <laughs> It's just different, okay? Car rides with are messed up. It's confusing because you gyra, You are nothing. Who, whose boots have you been? been? I mean, all that. Then, you know, young money millionaire. Damn, Nigerian. <laughs> it's the only line I know. It's the only line I know. We're opposites. Completely different. But do you know what the greatest distinction and difference is? Can I hold your hand one more time? Here's the greatest distinction. I am a man, she is a woman. And that distinction did not originate in the mind of a human or a sociologist or a biologist. That notion was conceived in the very mind of God. That it was God's idea to have a man and a woman together in covenant. In his presence I didn't make that up he made that up that was his original intention this right here of a man and a woman in the presence of God goes all the way back to the book of Genesis this right here started in the mind of God that wanted some people on earth reflect his image matter of fact we're kind of lonely up here let me get some more of our social couples up here y'all come up here real quick look at all these social couples y'all come up here real quick let me tell you look look at this look at this beautiful diversity every church can't do this every church can't do this right here look at all these social couples yeah are y'all married hallelujah Holding hands. Come on, Dad. (laughs) That's how I got here. Come on. This right here goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. God's idea. And you know what's crazy? Is that as soon as this showed up in the garden, the enemy shows up in the garden. You ever notice that? That the serpent does not appear when Adam is just frolicking with the animals. When he shows up, it's the exact time, same time Eve shows up. That's when the serpent shows up. So if I was the enemy, I would do everything in my power. That's what, oh, sorry, mom. Oh, I'm in trouble. That's what I would do. Got too much in the illustration. If I was the enemy, I would do everything in my power to... Don't give up, come back together. I would do everything in my power to put I'm trying to tell you what is happening. Oh, the married people at married people make some noise. Okay. This is what's happening right now this is what you don't see happening in your you think you are arguing about the dishes you think you are arguing about the fact that he don't ever replace the toilet tissue that's not what it's about the enemy will do everything in his power to break this up because this reflects the image of God and this reflects the beauty of God and God says I want some people to be more committed to staying together instead of looking for an opportunity to separate this is why he said what God has put together let no let no one separate it but the enemy's gonna do everything through the little things do the big things through the big things that look like little things to go how can I tear that apart and he's slick with the way he does it look at how he did it with Adam and Eve Ooh. with Eve he talks to her hits the woman with conversation he don't talk to Adam he knew He don't know how to communicate. (laughs) I'm going to talk to the one that likes to talk. (sighs) Talks to her. And once he got her, she got him. And so he is now looking at her, who is beautiful, who is fine, who, according to the text, is still naked. But she's holding something that's forbidden. And so now he's trying to figure out how in the world is something that I love holding something that's forbidden and I'm attracted to it. And even today, women have to be careful of the conversations you entertain and men have to watch out for reaching out for things that are forbidden, that God has put a mandate to not touch. But the trick of the enemy is to always separate, conquer and divide he wants to break the covenant he wants to break the union the power of marriage is two people that might not always see eye to eye but we don't stop holding hands we don't break the contract and in this new generation we think that the premise of marriage is to make me happy is that why you want to get married single person <laughs> good luck if you are going into marriage because you want somebody to make you happy is going to evade you so quickly maybe marriage is actually to make you holy maybe marriage is not a person completing me it's actually a person cutting selfishness off of me it's like oh you don't complete me you cut me you're taking pride off of me you're taking narcissism off of me you're making me realize that life does not revolve around me oh this type of preaching does not get good claps and amens okay that's the picture of marriage she said I'm processing I love it it's funny I'm gonna give you my last piece of marriage advice and then they can go sit down but I remember talking to a pastor and he said uh, if you want to have a healthy and a happy marriage you just need to understand that men are like dogs and women are like cats I said what in the world are you talking about he says very simple he said if you want to keep a dog happy all you have to do is three things feed him praise him and play with him you want to keep your man happy all you really got to do we simple feed us praise us and play with us but if you want to keep a cat happy I said how in the world this is what the guys want to know how do you keep a cat happy you ready nobody knows no body knows nobody knows how to keep a cat happy all we know is whatever you did the last time you can't do that thing again you better get creative and switch it up so all that where, where the cats at where the cats at where my dogs at where my dogs at all right thank y'all so much thank y'all. Ooh, dogs men are dogs women are cats dogs Dog. dog. Y'all know we got a dog? We, we have a dog. Uh, we got a golden doodle, Theo. you have a picture of Theo. That's, that's my dog. No, don't awe. Oh, he needs deliverance. <laughs> I, I noticed something about Theo. I, I noticed something about my dog, Theo, that I think you need to hear. My dog, Theo, actually, let's back it up a little bit. In our household, we, uh, we buy like bougie water sometimes. But buy this bougie water and... It's crazy because my kids will go in the fridge and they'll get the bougie water. And they never finish the water bottles. I'm always telling them in the house, hey, you gonna drink the water? Finish the water. This water ain't cheap, it's expensive water. It's Whole Foods water, finish it. But they they don't finish it. And and, and then they leave it just on the table just just about halfway full. And then I'm not gonna waste it and I'm not gonna drink it because they got goldfish and Cheez-Its and all kinds of backwash in it. So I've created this system. This is, this is crazy to admit. I've created this system. I was like, I'm not going to wa- waste the water. So sometimes I will take their little backwash bougie water and I will pour it in Theo's bowl. He's got his own little space in the house and I will pour that water backwash and all in Theo's bowl. I have a prepared place of water for this little golden doodle. All he has to do is go to his place, get down on his knees, his little paws. And all he gotta do is, is y'all. This is good. So he just gotta <laughs> it is good, it's refreshing. You would think that's what he would do. He don't want to do that. He don't want to do that. When he's been playing outside, when he's been running, when he's been panting, he does not go to the bowl with the bougie water that's prepared. He goes to a different bowl, he goes <laughs> to this bowl. He loves this bowl. And all throughout the week, you will hear me in my house shouting, oh, get out, get out of the toilet bowl, you nasty dog, get out of the toilet bowl. Steady going to the bowl, when there is a prepared bowl for him. That water is fresh. Can you imagine drinking this water? Let me ask you, of course, I ain't going to do that. Calm down. I'll do anything to illustrate the point, please. I'm trying to show you. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, that ain't like that water. (laughs) I know you're saying, ooh. I I know it's Gross. It's crazy to think that people would actually go to what is easier, what is more convenient. See, the problem with us is we think that because I have the thirst, because I have the attraction, Then I have to satisfy it any way that I can This is actually the trick of the enemy The enemy wants you to think that because you have the thirst You just need to satisfy the thirst Any way that you see fit With however many people you see fit On whatever day you see fit Not knowing that the fact that you have the thirst Doesn't mean you should just go to any source The fact that you have the thirst Is proof positive that there is a master Who has actually already prepared a place for you And a context for you That is better for you that you ain't got a word about a STD, that you ain't got a worry about being nervous about what you got, but he actually has a place for you. How many of us have gone to the toilet bowl when God says, I actually hold marriage so sacred and so holy and because I created sex, I made it so sacred and so holy that it has a context. It has a place. How many know sex is not something that you want to keep working on with several people before you settle down for the one? That's not like one of those activities that you do repeatedly with other people to get better. God said, I actually have a context for that. That in the context of marriage, he says that if I'm going to give my body to you and we're going to be that intimate, why would I not be intimate with every other place in my life? It came for me in the comments on the last post, so I may as well say something again to give them something to talk about. <laughs> that, that's, that's the challenge of saying, no, we're going to just live together first because you understand that if you're living together first, you're keeping up a performance. You can't let them see the re-you. Just live together before the covenant says, I'm waiting for a moment to peace out. And if I see what I don't like, I'm gone. The covenant of marriage says, I'm crazy and you crazy. But if you leave, I'm going with you. (laughs) And it's amazing the marriages that said they were unhappy in one season, but because they actually stuck it out beyond their feelings, it would make me happy. And it ended up being better in another season. And hear me, I'm not saying there aren't situations where there is time to break it off, but I am saying we have a culture that thinks if I'm not happy, If it's not serving me, then it's time for me to leave. But that is like a dog going to a toilet bowl. I see what you're thinking. Like Pastor Robert, you you keep talking about dogs. And by the way, cats drink from the toilet bowl too. But some of y'all, you keep talking about dogs. What, What dog have to do with David? To you, I would say, you didn't pay attention when I said my title. I'm talking today about David's other giant. David's other giant was not Goliath. It was him. Our greatest giants are us. How many know we have participated in 100% of the bad decisions we have made? (gasps) Nobody corrals you. You The enemy is the enemy on the inside of you and that is the sad tale of David and Bathsheba. Come on, you don't have to go to Sunday school to know about David. David is the one that God chose. David is the one who was a worshiper and a warrior. I love it to me he's the epitome of manhood you know you bad when you can play the harp in one moment and then grab a slingshot and knock somebody out in the next moment come on that's a manly man come on ladies you need a man that's not afraid to worship and cry in the service but's not afraid to knock if you buck if it needs to if somebody's messing with something that he's been assigned to protect. I love that. God, restore manhood in our culture today. Give us a man to say, I'll worship and I'll protect and fight for my family. I got integrity and I'm still not ashamed to lift up my holy hands and give God praise. Oh, I love David. Who else but David? There've been movies about him, but none of them have done justice to the story of David he's a classic story of started from the bottom now I'm here it was powerful don't forget the day that changed his life forever I am convinced it wasn't just the day that he got anointed with the oil to be king you understand that it was about 15 years between his anointing and his appointing he had that moment where he got anointed but he had to go right back with those sheep after he got anointed do you know the day that changed his life it was an ordinary day he was just delivering some ham and cheese sandwiches to his brother when he got to the battlefield though he saw a giant who was big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it and he says wait a minute who is this uncircumcised philistine that dare defy the armies of the living god i like that that's christian cussing right there who is this uncircumcised philistine y'all gonna let him talk about my god in front of everybody oh no 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 he said is there not a cause where is my slingshot i'm about to knock him out you know the story he hurls that sling and that rock Hits Goliath in the forehead. He comes crashing down. That was enough just to kill him. But how many know sometimes when the enemy's been talking so much trash, you got to make sure that some devils never come back again. So he takes his own sword, cut his head off, and lifted it up and posed for the gram while he did it. David was powerful. It was awesome. And everybody started singing, hooray! David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can." Everybody shouting. And I think David was too, because it was a victory. It was a triumph, but it was also a trauma. Because you understand, from that moment, David's life would never be the same. From that moment, he was catapulted from obscurity into notoriety. From that moment, he couldn't hide anymore. Everybody knew his name. See, everybody that's clout chasing and you want the stage and you want the platform, understand people can't handle the stages and the platform because when God does something or God gives you an opportunity or all of a sudden you go from obscurity into notoriety and it happens so fast, your body can't catch up with the whiplash because yes, they're saying you're a king, but on the inside, you know you're still a shepherd. He didn't go to king's class. He's from the hood. And so here he is. Dealing with the trauma of success. This is what nobody talks about. Nobody talks about that when you finally make it and you win, sometimes winning feels like losing. Because who do you hang out with now? Yes, you got the money to go to Ruth Chris, but all your friends go to Raising Cane's. How are you? And now you got these new friends. And you're trying to figure out, do they like me for me or do they like me because they saw just what I did? Yeah. Success is a trap. Be careful for the positions and the platforms that you're screaming for. I've talked to some of the successful people. They're winning, but they feel like they're losing. And yes, it's crowded in the crowd, but it's also lonely in the green room. Because the psychology of who you are has not caught up to where you are. And you're trying to figure it out. So David's winning. And guess what he gets for winning? This is what the prize is. Saul throwing spears at him. The one that he's going to replace, who called him in in the first place, <clears throat> is now trying to kill him. Oh, you've been there before. Have you ever done too good at your job? Have you ever performed so well that it got awkward in the break room? Have you ever done so good that your supervisor and your boss realized that your competency actually exceeded them? And now they act in some type of way. Oh, they love that you're bringing revenue to the company, but they also feel some type of jealousy because your effectiveness will bring out the insecurity of other people. I wish I would respond like I'm actually preaching. I learned this in my field. I was 16 years traveling on the road. I learned that I could go to some churches and I could actually preach too good. I'd be preaching, and even before the service, the pastor would be like, hey, they don't really respond in the first service. They're just going to sit there and look at you. I said, okay, and I finished preaching, and folks would be saying, you better preach. <laughs> and they'd never say it, but I would feel it. Did I do too good? Did I mess up? Because success is sometimes dramatic. And so everybody thought David's wins was a triumph. But David's going, I'm just a sh- Oh, you want a picture with me? Yeah, how how do you smile? I'm sorry, I'm not used to taking pictures with people because they didn't even invite me to be anointed. They just had me out in the sheet. Uh, How does a king walk? Oh, like, can you see him watching YouTube videos of how to walk like a king? Okay, okay. In the palace, talking about which fork is this fork? Okay. Belching at the table and that is the David that we see too much of first Samuel Even in to some of second Samuel, but by the time we get to this episode with Bathsheba David has been king for a while Oh, he is not insecure anymore He knows how to walk like a king He has now graduated to a palace that has six All throughout the drama with Bathsheba, you will see him sending his servants and sending his attendants. David knows how to be a king now. And when you study this episode with him and Bathsheba, it's actually giving you a master's class on how to have a fall. I almost titled this message, How to Have an Affair. Because if you want to know how to have an affair, look at the incremental places of compromise in David's life. The text starts off by saying, in the springtime, when kings go to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So David's first mistake that we have to learn from today is you got to be careful when you're in the wrong place. In the springtime, when kings go to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. Excuse me, David, you're a king. Why are you not on the battlefield? What are you doing sleeping in, watching Netflix in the palace when you are a warrior and you're supposed to be on the battlefield? Do you realize most of the dumb, asinine decisions that we make could have been avoided if we actually just had some boundaries about our environment? If we actually said, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't go there. Oh, I'm so sorry, I can't handle that. See, God often will speak to you about your environment before he ever talks to you about your eyes. He did this with a blind man in the gospels that he healed before he even touched his eyes. You remember that? And he spit in the eyes. He first led him out of a certain town because he says, what good is it for me to heal your eyes if those eyes are going to be open to a bad environment? I got to get you out of that environment first because your environment will shape the trajectory of your decisions. Are you in the wrong place? That is half the battle right there. Just to put yourself in the right place, David is in the palace and he's supposed to be on the battlefield and I felt like God told me to talk to some warriors in this place some dog warriors and some cat warriors and he told me to tell you that you need the battles in your life some of you don't need some alone downtime. you better pursue the purpose and the call that God has on your life because some of us are so creative and some of us have such a conquering spirit that if we are not moving full forward in the purpose and the vision that God has for us we're going to find something else to take over we're going to find something we ain't supposed to be in so it is a gift to have a battle it is a gift to have a fight. Every time David had a fight, he had something to keep his mind on. He was strategizing. That's why all throughout his military escapades, you would hear him saying this, and David inquired of the Lord. He was in conversation with God, saying, God, do you want me to go or do you want me to stay? God, do you want me to move or do you want me to be still? This is the power of having different battles because God will get you the victory in many ways, but he wants you to seek him to get the strategy of how you're going to get it. And it's something about that communion with God. Oh, y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. It's something about talking with him that gives you the strategy you need. I got to talk to him. I'm bad in the palace by myself at night. I need to be at war. So I want to ask you very practically, are you in the wrong place? There are some wrong places, hear me, that are ubiquitous. And there are actually some wrong places that are unique. There are some places that maybe somebody can handle that you can't handle. Let me just tell you the season I'm in. You know what the wrong place is for me? It's people that have doubt. I got so many things I believe in God for right now. I can't be around folks that say, like, well, I don't see how it can happen. I don't think I can do it. I can't be around people or have people on my team that are looking for every reason that could go wrong. i got to have people in me that say, Pastor, Gillies is too small. American Airlines is too small. Pastor, don't worry about it. God's going to provide everything we need. There's provision for the vision. God's going to start a revival in Dallas. Pastor, we can take it. We, oh, i got to have that around me. I'm in a different season right now. I can't have you around me saying, I don't know if God can do that. Have you looked at the analytics? Shut up. (laughs) I'm going to look at him, but I got faith. I just want to ask you, what's your wrong place? Because he's in the wrong place. And if you get in the wrong environment, it's only a matter of time before your eyes look at the wrong thing. Let me write it down like I said it to you, like I wanted to say it. When you allow yourself to be in the wrong place, the enemy... attack you at the right time when you allow yourself to be in the wrong place the enemy will attack you at the right time David stayed in the palace and he was supposed to be at war we wouldn't know Bathsheba's name if he just would have gone to the battlefield there's so many people that have theories on this encounter with David and Bathsheba scholars and theologians have been debating about it for centuries There are some that suggest that this encounter between David and Bathsheba was actually not consensual. Some would suggest that the king, the one who wrote most of the Psalms, actually raped Bathsheba because understand he is the king and you don't say no to the king. And he used his position of power to force her to come. There are others who argue on the opposite side and say no, that when the Bible talks about rape, it is actually very clear about rape and doesn't shy about it. in Genesis 34, we see this with Dinah. Even in the next chapter, we will see that David's own son rapes his sister. And the Bible is clear that it's rape. So, some of those argue that said, No, it's not rape. She had a decision. So many different arguments. There are some that even argue that Bathsheba was actually on the rooftop bathing so David could see. And so she was bathing, like some people post on the gram, like trying to get him to look. And that is absolutely asinine. And What's crazy is we shouldn't be loud about the things that the text does not say. Many of us have the problem of reading our own presuppositions into the scripture. That is a dangerous thing to do. When you read your own presupposition into a passage of scripture, be careful because you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Some people make the mistake of reading their own presupposition to the text. And some people make the mistake of just not even reading the text. Because for years, some people say, saying, yeah, she was bathing on the rooftop. No, she wasn't. You didn't read. Put it on screen. Verse 2. It says, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. No, other verse. I don't think I said verse number 2, but it says, yeah. There we go. Then it happened one evening that David arose from the bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Hold up. Who saw? He saw. He saw. He was on the roof. She wasn't. Nowhere in the text does it say Bathsheba was bathed on the roof. David was on the roof. Matter of fact, if you study the archaeology and the housing structure of that time, you will know that most people only had at the most a two-story house. And then whenever you would bathe, you would do it in the courtyard, and your neighbors actually could not see because there was walls around your courtyard. So your neighbor wouldn't see you Bathing, Because the walls surrounded your courtyard from your neighbor. In fact, the only person that had the vantage point of the courtyard is the person who had a palace that was six stories high. This is why you have to be careful when you start going up. If you don't have character in this level of your life, how are you going to have character on this level? If you don't have integrity while you're dating, how are you going to have integrity while you're married? If you think you're going to be faithful and have integrity when you're making $50,000 a year, how in the world are you going to have integrity when you make $100 million a year? The higher you go up, ooh, the greater the vantage point, the more vices. The higher the vantage point, ooh, they'll give you gold toilets. <laughs> David's the only one that can actually see From his position, talk about peeping Tom, peeping Dave. Because he's looking. Matter of fact, the courtyard has become a screen and David is clicking and scrolling. See, it's not just the wrong place you got to watch out for. You also got to watch out for, number two, the long look. It started with the wrong place, but then it went to the long look. Yeah. Let's look at it in verse number two. Now I need that verse. Beautiful, yeah. And from the roof he what? Saw. Hello. From the roof he what? Saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful too. Ooh, one more time for the people in the back. And from the roof he, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful too. Behold. He saw, and he messed you up. Beheld. That would be the correct grammatical way to say it. He looked, and hey, it's one thing to go, oh, oh my goodness, you're taking a bath, my bad. I gotta go back here and finish my ramen noodles. I'm tripping. (laughs) But when you go from a look to behold, this is the trick of the enemy to get you to take a long look. A long look turns to lust. It's a long, long. Church people and saved people are funny. You act like when you get saved, and you get married, the people start becoming stop becoming attractive. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't see anything. Keep it one hundred, especially these miracles these blackest surgeons doing today. People don't. Can we be real in a relationship series? People don't stop looking attractive when you get married, and when you get saved. So, it's one thing for a look. Oh, okay, yep. But if your look away is not as strong, if it ever goes from a look to beholding, that's when it's danger waiting. I had all kinds of statistics I was going to read, but you don't need to hear them. Psychologists tell us that porn is now a global epidemic. Children as young as eight years old, exposed. The numbers are alarming of how many women now are watching porn. Different types. Because for man, pornography is about objectification. It's about objectification. I don't know who it is. It's convenient. It's easy. It's, it's the toilet. And you gotta be careful because when you go to the toilet and start drinking, it just takes you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. This is what I found out, the lie that the enemy told me. I've been open and shared my testimony. The lie the enemy told me that started my addiction was I can look at porn if I'm not sleeping around. But the problem with going to the toilet is you go deeper and deeper, and it goes from a look to beholding, and it's a long look. The numbers of women looking at pornography, and not just pornography, obsessed with chat rooms because for them it's not objectification. It's about the conversation. Let's go even deeper than a long look. What does the enemy really want? Fantasy. The enemy wants you obsessed with fantasy. What could be? What could happen? I wonder if we are obsessed with fantasy. If I had that job. If I had that car. And that's why every affair and adultery starts with fantasy. The dopamine in your brain, the pleasure principle in your brain, everything is set up in an affair to have it. Ooh, what's their name? Oh, they know mine. Oh, they responded to the text. Oh, they're here again. And many of you right now are in the middle of a long look that's going to end up with carnage and damage. And God sent me here to tell you, don't. Fantasy. It's never better than the reality. And so you have people who go for the fantasy and they leave their reality. But the problem with the fantasy is it's just a fantasy. And then you get the fantasy because, come on, the fantasy is, oh, it's secretive. Nobody knows. It's a weekend here. And then you get in the fantasy and you leave the reality. Oh, she don't want to do nothing. Oh, he doesn't meet my emotional needs. He doesn't see me but he does but she does and so you leave the reality that has drop-off schedules and diapers and has years and go for the fantasy but the problem is once you get the fantasy now the fantasy becomes a reality and so now you need a new fantasy. it's not the same like it was of course it's not it's more than a weekend now you got to do life And now you need a new fantasy. And the sick cycle continues. I saw a statistic that made me have some righteous indignation. I'm Dallas born. I love this city. I pray for this city. I pray for our team. The Cowboys next year will be (laughs) our year. But I saw a stat that messed me up. They listed the top 10 unfaithful cities in America. And guess what made the top of the list? Obviously, fantasy is a problem. Fort Worth was number two. Houston was number three. Dallas was number one. And all infidelity starts with fantasy. So if I was the enemy, I would get you to walk away from the reality and forever chase the fantasy. David is chasing the fantasy. He's objectified her. And now he goes a step forward and he sins for her. He just inquired. I'm not doing nothing. I'm just following her." He inquires, and I love what happens when he inquires because the Bible says that someone spoke up. I don't know who this someone is, but I want to meet this someone. Oh, this someone is gangster. This someone... Is trying to get the king's attention in the most respectful and polite way. I, want to know, I wish the Bible gave us someone's name. Look at what someone said. Someone said when he inquired, when he's in the wrong place, when he's gone for a long look, when he's objectified this woman. Look at what someone says. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah? Do you see what that person is doing? They are personalizing who he has objectified because lust objectifies lust just says I need to get what I want from you I don't care your age I don't care who I have to break the commitment to I don't care when or how it looks he has objectified Bathsheba and shout out to the someone how I many know you need a someone in your life if I'm headed to the toilet please give me a someone oh I forgot to tell you do you know how I stop my dog from going to the toilet he always goes to the toilet I found there's only one way to stop him from going to the toilet because he's not going to say er, I don't want it anymore No, no 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 the only way to stop Feel from going to the toilet is for me to shut the door I gotta close the door every time I leave the house cause I know this dog is not gonna go for the good water he's gonna go for the toilet and if you don't get nothing else i say today would you close the door to the sexual temptation and the thing the enemy is trying to take your marriage and take your relationship and take your purity down to close the door you can't handle the open door I wish I could come down there and preach this thing like I feel it. All the lights, I need the light. (laughs) Close the door! You ever notice the Bible says in James chapter 4 to resist the enemy, submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee? We shout about it, but think about it. If you resist the enemy, submit to God, he will flee. But then Paul comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and says, flee. From sexual immorality. He don't say resist it. Paul's going, God ain't taking your thirst away. So you better just flee and run and close the door to the toilet. Otherwise, you're going to be there. And someone said, someone said, David, put it back up there. Is this not the daughter? Do you know who Eliam was? He was one of David's mighty warriors that was fighting for him. You know who Uriah was? It's one of David's mighty warriors who was fighting for him. Let's go deeper into the family history. You know who Bathsheba's grandfather was? Somebody that served on David's council for wisdom. And so the someone is trying to personify and bring personhood to the person who has been objectified. I've said in this series before, Fellas, the danger of objectification is you fail to realize that's somebody's daughter, that that's somebody's husband, that's somebody's sister. And if it was somebody you loved and cared about, how you know it wouldn't be no dollar bills being thrown. But lust always objectifies and says, "Just give me and fulfill my needs." And this person is bringing personhood back to Bathsheba. But David, don't do this. But he's still sins for her she comes you can play she comes and the encounter is written so fast the way it's written lets you know how the encounter was it it says she came he slept with her and she went back home so now he's gone from wrong place to long look to cheap thrill That's what a cheap thrill is. A cheap thrill is when you get into something just for the pleasure. And the pleasure feels good in the moment and is cheap and easy in the moment, but the aftermath is so expensive. A cheap thrill. The enemy would love for you to live a life just a cheap thrill. But cheap thrills cost so much. Cheap thrills ruin families. Cheap thrills destroy little girls' images of men. Cheap thrills break the heart of the Father. Forget that it's Eliam's daughter. He's God's daughter. David, don't mar the image of God that is on somebody else to fulfill your own lust and your own desire. But he has the cheap thrill. Sends her back thinks he's good until she sends a message back I am with child that's all we ever hear Bathsheba say in the text have you ever been at a place where you got that text that message where your cheap thrill now you got the bill it was fun and you were charging it but you didn't realize how much you charged Come on, be honest, you have been say that long. You ever got the bill back from the club and said, wait a minute. No, take them sparklers and them bottles back. What? Because it was fun. Hey, huh? <laughs> cheap thrills have expensive bills. And there's always carnage. It goes from the cheap thrill to the bill of she's pregnant. And so now he goes to what all of us do, a horrible cover. I got a cover. This is what humanity does. It's always better to come clean and say, I messed up. No, not David. He does what we do. I got a cover. But can I tell you, we are horrible at covering things up. This is what we inherited from Adam and Eve. As soon as they took of the fruit, what did they do? They covered with fig leaves. And the moment they cut the figs from the vine, just like we got cut off from our connection from God, it all started withering and fading. We are horrible at cover-ups. He's panicking. Okay, I don't I, know what I'll what I do. Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was going to get this far. I didn't know I was going to go this far. Okay, I know. I, I, I'll, get, I'll, get her, I'll get her husband to come back. He'll come back from the battlefield. He'll sleep with her. And yeah, 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 they might say the kids look like me, but nobody will know, nobody will know. Uriah comes back from the battlefield. He says, go home and wash your feet. Biblical language for Go home to your wife. Relax. David wakes up the next morning. Uriah is on his doorstep. He refuses to go to his house. David is mad. Because there's nothing that annoys you when you're in sin than somebody else's integrity. There's nothing that makes somebody who's living in sin more mad than somebody that actually has values and morals and those morals and those values and their integrity is not contingent upon who's around them like, oh no I actually don't cheat no I don't do that no matter where I am I have integrity I'm whole oh that makes people mad who are trying to cover and they'll do anything to stop it Uriah won't go home David tries the next night brings Uriah in starts pouring bottles getting him drunk he gets Uriah drunk says surely okay I got him he gonna go back to his wife Uriah won't go back home and stays asleep on David's doorstep Uriah had more integrity drunk than the king of Israel had sober David doesn't know what to do middle of a cover-up you don't know what to do you panic you'll do whatever i'm just trying to cover nobody can know and so finally he sends uriah with a letter to the battlefield this is the thing about sin it always goes deeper you think it's gonna be one wrong play but you just keep going further down the toilet sends a letter with uriah with his own death in his hand the letter says that when the heat of the battle comes pull back and let Uriah die because David is the king and he's been sending and making orders everybody does it Uriah didn't just die multiple men died for David's cover-up because sin always affects more people than you think I know you think it's your actions but hear me the chickens will always come home to roost sometimes it'll be in a generation after you but sin always has carnage riah dies david thinks he's good until the prophet nathan shows up one day i could have preached a whole message just on nathan his name means gift from god sometimes the greatest gift from god is the person that'll say the thing that you don't want to hear i love nathan i come to you today in the spirit of nathan because nathan does not go up to david and say hey king you're an adulterer you're a murderer i know what you did no 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 thank god he didn't because david was gangster how many know nathan would have been in the story with his head cut off nathan shows us the power of story he comes into david's court remember the king would make judicial decisions and nathan swings a story he said king david there were two men living in the same town one was rich one was poor The rich man had all kinds of cattle and sheep, thousands. The poor man had just one little lamb that he nursed, that ate at his table. It was like a daughter to him. One day, the rich man had people over and he was getting ready to prepare a feast. And instead of going to his surplus of sheep, he took the one little sheep from the poor man. David rose up and said, Who is this man? He must die. Really, David? We're talking about a lamb and you want to execute death? David, you still have the blood of Uriah and several soldiers and have taken Bathsheba as your own on your hands and you want to give death over somebody that took a lamb? This is the hypocrisy of humanity. Isn't it crazy how we want to throw down the hammer on everybody else but we want grace for ourselves? David wants death over a lamb? He said he must pay. Nathan goes, David, you are the man. God blessed you. He took you from the shepherd field to the palace. He gave you everything you have and if all that had been too little, he would have given you more. Why did you do this? Why did you do this thing that displeased the Lord? Finally, David broke down to the thing that I'm praying somebody gets today. You got to go from the wrong place to a long look and move from the long look to the cheap, thrill and stop trying to cover and finally say God I realize I have made the mistake here's what God wants from all of us he just needs an honest confession he just needs you to say God I'm messed up I'm not blaming anybody else God I need your grace God I need your mercy come on look at his honest confession in Psalms 51 this is David after he realizes the weight of what he did he said have mercy on me oh God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, I'm not looking at anybody else I know my transgressions my sin is always before me, he's crying out to God saying against you and you alone have I sinned, that's when you know you really got repentance, see it's difference between regret and repentance, regret means I'm just sorry I got caught regret means I'm just sorry for the consequences but true repentance said God I'm sorry that this broke your heart God I care about my relationship with you more than I care about anything else God I want your presence I did this evil in your sight you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge he says surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time of my mother conceived me yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb you taught me wisdom in that secret place created me a pure heart O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me then I here comes some hope will teach transgressors your ways so sinners will turn back to you do you see what David realizes David realizes I made a dumb mistake I went too far I've been in the toilet bowl of life but how many you know a broken heart God cannot deny if you'll stop trying to conceal it and stop with the secrecy how many you know God is faithful God has grace God has mercy and Bathsheba was pregnant and the baby died and yes there are consequences for your actions but how many you know after David repented Bathsheba got pregnant again she had another child with David and do you know what that child's name was his name was Solomon hear me Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived y'all don't know when to shout I want to praise God for grace because God is the only one that can take your mistake your dumbest decision and produce something that'll actually bring wisdom to somebody else oh is there anybody in here that's ever done something so dumb and got the grace of God and now you stand as a testimony to say God is faithful don't go to the toilet he has some living water for you everybody stand to your feet don't you let the enemy tell you it's too late God can bring wisdom even out of toilet situations. Out of your dumbest mistakes, you can teach others. Here's the way to find freedom. You know why I'm preaching this with so much passion? Because I've been in the toilet. You know why I'm telling you, you have boundaries. I've lived my life where there weren't boundaries and I realized the enemy is always looking to tear apart Let's every head be bowed all eyes closed father thank you today for your word Lord. I pray today that this message came the spirit of Nathan as a gift to somebody who needs to hear the truth, but let this truth be so wrapped in your love. Oh God, thank you that it's never your will or your desire to condemn us. If God, you wanted to condemn us, you would have sent a condemner in the world, but you didn't. You sent a savior. But you do want to convict us, you do want conversion. Father, I thank you today that we have heard the truth of your word. I've done my assignment. Lord, I'm asking today that there would be a response for the person that's in the wrong place that needs to protect their environment. For the person that's taken a long look and has gotten obsessed with fantasy and the enemy is playing with them the person that's been living their life cheap thrill after cheap thrill and then having to go to something to medicate because the thrill is not doing what it did before or to the person that's trying to cover up and Lord I've been there they're so scared some of them have been burned because they were open with people before and the person took advantage of the information and brought more shame on the shame they already felt. God, I pray over social what I have prayed before. I declare that this is a safe house, this is a place where healing can take place. God, I come against this stronghold over the city of Dallas. God, I come against every lie that's trying to get somebody to quit their marriage, to break covenant. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you restore covenant and marriage in this city? Let Dallas be talked about as revivals even now are breaking out across this nation. Let us be number one for the move of God. Let us be number one for men who are faithful. Let us be number one for people who won't quit. it gets tough let us be number one for people who will serve others let us be number one who treat people with the imago Dei the image of God